I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone and welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. I know we've been on a bit of a hiatus, a bit of a break, but we're back with a new podcast with a very special first-time guest, Joe Cho, who joins me as we premiered the Premier League season. I can't believe it. The Premier League season is here. It seems like it was just yesterday that Liverpool was lifting up the Champions League trophy. And it's two months later, and the season is about to start with Liverpool versus Norwich tomorrow on a Friday, starting off. So me and Joe record the, recorded this on a Thursday night. So we're really excited and pumped to give you um, this preview of the Premier League season. And Joe actually has a podcast himself called the two asians podcast so check that out if you can i'll link it in the description um of this podcast where i post it so um give that a listen give this podcast a listen and give us your thoughts on what you guys think is going to happen during this premier league season there's going to be a lot of intriguing and interesting stuff um, that happens hopefully Liverpool can bring it home unlike last year where Manchester City topped them so thanks guys for listening as always and if you guys haven't subscribed yet please subscribe and like the podcast thanks guys and let's give Joe a call Kevin, how you doing, man? Hey, Joe. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This is the first time, first time that you're on the pod, I think. Um, I'm just really glad to have you on. Um, and for those of you guys that are listening that don't know, Joe actually has, I'm going to just get the, uh, get the plug in right away, but Joe has a podcast himself called the Two Asians Podcast. So give that a listen on iTunes or wherever you guys listen to the podcast. So Joe, do you want to just like talk about your podcast a little bit about what you do on there? Yeah, dude. Appreciate it. All right. Shameless plug time. But uh, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So just me and my best friend from, uh, we go way back, met each other in middle school, but um, it's really just an Asian American interest pod. So anything that's related to, you know, what we do or like, the Asian American struggle or any uplifting news, uh, just a variety of topics that we like to talk about. Um, recently, we've been focusing on Asians in sports. Jeremy Lin, what up? Um, and then like Asians in media. So uh, we've been talking about like Shimu Lu as well. So, yeah, go ahead. Give us a follow if you'd like. Appreciate the support, yeah. Kev. Yeah, so I, I have been listening to his podcast. Joe actually reached out to me. So he's kind of like my he's like my protege, I guess or whatever you want to call it. But he reached out to me to talk about how to start a podcast. So I was happy to give him advice. And it's really cool to see him do his own thing with his uh, with his friend to talk about all the things that are going on in Asian American culture, stuff that I can totally relate to as well. So give that a listen. But the real reason why I brought Joe on to the podcast, I can't believe it, but the Premier League season is upon us. It is we're recording this on a Thursday night, Friday night, tomorrow night, 
is the start of the Premier League season with my team, Liverpool, kicking off the season against Norwich City. So I just felt like I'd have you on, Joe, so we could kind of talk about all the things that happened uh, during the off season, uh, ending from the Champions League all the way up till now. Transfer moves, what your thoughts on. Joe is a huge Man U fan, so get his takes on uh, some of the moves that Man U made, Ed Woodward and Ole, um, what they've done uh, for Man U. What, I mean, heading into this season, Joe, what are your thoughts on just like, I guess, your feelings on maybe Man U's chances and then just in general about how the league is going to go during this 2019-2020 campaign? Yeah, man, dude. So I'll uh, first start off by giving my projections. Um, I would say the most optimistic finish that I see Manchester United is third. Um, I'd say the most realistic is somewhere between four, five, six, Um, simply just because we don't know what Pogba's status is in terms of like how much he wants to be here. I mean, clearly he gave hints about wanting to leave. Uh, His agent pretty much explicitly stated that he wanted to leave. But I mean, I I believe he's a professional and I still think that there's love for the club there. And so I still think he's going to work hard and play his heart out and try his best. And I think the infusion of youth and talent that we've done uh, during the transfer market with Harry Maguire, Aaron Juan Bissaka and Daniel James as well as the up-and-comers, Mason Greenwood and uh, Angel Gomez, I think that's going to give us a real boost. And so I think in terms of play style, um, the new belief under Ole, I know it tailed off at the end of last season, but I think that was also a result of like fitness and then just general dissatisfaction with you know, the state of the season at that point. Um, I think this season comes with a lot of positivity, a lot more fitness, a lot more young kids, and just that unbridled belief and optimism that comes with being young. Yeah. And let's get into it, Joe, because like you brought up a lot of the transfers, you brought up Wambasaka, you brought up Harry Maguire. That was a huge money, a uh, big transfer move, most expensive defender in the world. Um, I'm not exactly sure if he's worth that, um, but definitely he, you had to pay like 80 million euros for that. Um, Daniel James, who I think is a smart pickup, really young, pacey, winger type of player. I mean, and Lukaku on his way out on the last day of the transfer deadline um, today, going to Inter Milan. And I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on maybe the lack of depth up front, possibly with Lukaku's move out and maybe Ole kind of trusting the young guys like you brought up in Greenwood, who I think will surprise people if he gets his opportunities, but he is only 17 years old. Does that kind of provide some type of worry that he's probably that the backup for um, Marcus Rashford up top? Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, the concern is that there's no direct replacement for Lukaku. Um, He serves as a target man. He's able to be, you know, that, well, we tried to make him that back to the back or back to the uh, goal kind of striker. Um, But I got two, two words for you, speed kills. And I think that's going to be, you know, the way that we work our attack. And so, you know, the lack of depth is a little bit concerning, but I think we're too strong or like we have two men at every position. So you could have, you know, uh, so we got six guys up top. I'd say we could play Lingard. I could say uh, Martial, Rashford, James, Greenwood, 
and Taith Chong in spells. Um, but like, I'd say we're like five, six guys that we can play up top uh, feasibly throughout the course of the season. Um, and yeah, the lack of depth, mildly concerning, but you know, I'm just, I'm just hopeful that the, uh, the youthful bodies stay fit. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think the, this is kind of getting back to what Sir Alex Ferguson really valued during his tenure at Manchester United was really infusing the squad with youth and being able to trust those players to come through for him. This squad is fairly young now with a lot of the moves that they ended up making. Um, And I think what they really had to do going into this offseason was really solidify that back line, and they really did that in two key spots uh, with Juan Basaka at right back, and then Harry Maguire really solidifying the middle of that defense, probably pairing up with Victor Lindelof um, in the center of the, uh, at center back to really be able to kind of stop a lot of the the action in front of them. I mean, Man U gave up 54 goals last year. Um, their offensive output wasn't that bad. They they scored 65 goals, but 54 goals was a lot to give up. That was more than Wolves gave up, Everton gave up, Leicester City gave up, Crystal Palace gave up, Newcastle. So they gave up a ton of goals. Um, and the amount of goals that they ended up giving up probably could have had them closer to mid-tier instead of top six. So for Ole to even get that type of those types of results past the Mourinho like first half of the season was fairly impressive, especially on the fly. And I'm I'm kind of curious to see what he, what this team looks like with a full off season um, behind them. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that goes overlooked a lot is um, is Fred. Uh, a lot of people forget about, you know, he was like a $52 million transfer. And then there's a lot of expectations on him last season. And then he lost the ball a couple of times in his first game. And then boom, he was in the doghouse. Uh, and then he really never got a, another real chance under Mourinho. And then under Solskjaer, it was like pretty, pretty slow in reintroduction into the team. But there was a quote that recently popped up across my feed. And it was that, it was a Jose Mourinho quote from when he got first signed. He said, if there's a strong defense behind Fred, he can be truly unleashed, you know? And I think that's exactly what we're going to see. You know, people oftentimes point to the fact that we lost Herrera on a free, um, that Nemanja Matic is like slowing down and getting old. But I think having that solid back line that you were talking about with Maguire and Juan Basaka, his preseason showings, outrageously good. But um, yeah, having that back line shored up with four now, I would say top tier defenders with Luke Shaw and Lindelof as well. I'd say our midfield is going to look a lot better than it did last year, simply because the back line is able to cover for any, you know, ball retention issues or uh, any mistakes that they make make. And I think it allows for a lot more freedom for the attacking players. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious to see like who that third guy is. It, I mean, a lot of people seem to be talking about Matic and Pogba being two out of three in the midfield. I wonder who that third guy is. Hopefully Fred is able to step up for them. Um, it'll be interesting if Juan Mata ends up playing a role um, in in that portion of the field. Who do you like? Who do you see as that third guy? Or maybe you have some something totally different formation wise because they did play like a four 
I don't know, four three three most of the time last year, I would say, right? Or four mm-hmm. like two, three, one, some type of formation like that. So how do you see them kind of lining up um if they if they're at full strength? Um yeah, so I would say ideally we would have uh McTominay in there as well. Because he's, I think, you know, uh, in the NBA, they always talk about, um, like, that big sophomore year jump. And last year was essentially Scott McTominay's rookie season. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and every, I mean, obviously every team's preseason reports are glowing about player fitness levels and how committed they are to the team. But I feel like there is something, there is a mystique to that Man United DNA where players who are young, grow up through that system, want to die for the club. And in terms of, like, effort, um I think that's all you can really ask for these guys, especially with the low expectations that we probably will have of the season. And so I'm thinking McTominay actually steps up and fills that void if Fred's unable to with hmm. um, Pogba and Matic. Yeah, and I think it, I think he was one of those players from last year that I was fairly impressed with, um, just being able to see the way he played, especially for a young player like that, and being able to play in some pretty big spots last year. I'm just a little curious if there may be one guy short in that midfield. And can we get Alexi Sanchez, like, sighting at all? Is he, is he <laughs> dead? Is is he not? Like, it seems like, at least from some of the Man U uh, fans that I've talked to uh, amongst my friends, it seems like he's not going to feature at all. And he's pretty much done there um at Manchester United and they're not really expecting anything out of him and you pretty and like I think even when you're going down the list of attacking options before you didn't mention his name at all so it seems like he's on his way out correct oh yeah I mean honestly I'm gonna say I completely forgot because that's (laughs) how irrelevant he has been throughout the entirety of like last season he was a joke there were games that I would watch with my friends and I would literally say if this man could score here I will forgive everything I've ever said about him. And he never did. And then since then, I've completely forgotten that he existed. Um, aside from the few random Chile highlights of him, like scoring a penalty or something. And you're like, this guy's still doing nothing. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the frustrating things. I mean, it's not like Man- Manchester United gave up that much. They gave up the failed project of Henrik Mkhitaryan in exchange for him. But at the same time, I think a lot of people were expecting that Sanchez would kind of uplift them, especially in miss like through all the struggles that Manchester United's had over the past couple of seasons. And I kind of agree with your assessment of how this season's going to go for Man U. I don't think the expectations are too, like especially high for them at all. Um, and if they can get into the top four, I think that is something that would probably be a positive for them. And this is probably more like a two or three year project down the road to see if they can uh, compete uh, for the Premier League title. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, honestly, it feels a little bit like um, in like, I keep making basketball references and I'm, I'm getting sorry, but um, like no, a lot of totally teams in the West, yeah, a lot of teams in the Western Conference were like sitting there like, well, the Golden State Warriors are a juggernaut. And a lot of teams in the East are like, well, when's LeBron going to leave? And so a lot of them built out their timelines in light of maybe the Golden State Warriors era will end or maybe LeBron will, you know, leave, retire, grow old. And I think that's what Manchester United, I don't know if, I don't know if Edward Wood actually has a plan, uh, but that's a different point. But 
<laughs> I think that's honestly what our timeline is looking like because right now Liverpool and Man City are just absolute juggernauts. Like uh, Liverpool, I don't I don't mean to cut in too much on what you're going to talk about later, but I mean they haven't done much in the transfer market. It looks like they're just running the old team back. But Man City, they're bolstering and trying to sign successors to a couple of people that you know are still on the team. And so I think it's best if we you know let the youth mature for the next few years. And then once they're ready to come into their own as like world-class players, then I think that's going to be our Manchester United's time to shine again. Yeah. And I think that like as a Liverpool fan, it's kind of enjoyable for me to watch Man U struggle, but, (laughs) but at the same time, it's, it's fun to have Man U be at the top and try to bring them down and also compete for the Premier League title alongside Man U. I mean, you don't want to see them drop down mid-table at all, especially for such a celebrated club like they are, uh, such a worldwide global type of club. And you want to see them do well to kind of compete against the big dogs in the Premier League. So I'm really hoping some of the youth um, – really grows especially martial he hopefully he's able to mature a little bit and someone like daniel james gets his opportunities under ole because i think they have some special talent that'll kind of be be really fun and i hope i hope i don't know if you saw this last year from manchester united but i hope ole kind of instills in a more positive attacking type of football mentality in this Manchester United team and that they, they don't look as afraid. It seemed like at certain points last year, they looked a little bit tentative going forward or weren't able to capitalize on, on a lot of their chances. Right. I think a lot of that was a factor of when you change managers mid season, everything that you've built up from like July or June, July, all the way into like the beginning of the season is a single manager's philosophy. And then you've tailored everything that you do around that in order to even make the team, because if you're not following the manager's instructions, so you're really indoctrinating yourself into a different way of thinking on the field. Totally. And, and so I think now that we have this full, you know, off season to really get the team re-indoctrinated or like re-educated or whatever you want to call it, um, with this new philosophy and a lot of counterattacking uh, moves that I've seen in the preseason so far, which is really exciting to me. And I think that's where the speed comes in. But I think all of that is going to really result in what you were saying, a more positive f- footballing philosophy. Yeah, totally. Is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, wanted to say about this team? I think the only other thing that I wanted to pose a question to you before maybe we move on to a different team um, is – do you think Ole is still the coach after this season? Because I think maybe not that it could get bad and maybe he gets fired. I just don't know if he has the full stability of this team. He did get a pretty short-term contract extension from what I remember. So what are your thoughts on that? And do you think it's like fully his team or do you think Ed Woodward kind of gets impatient, uh, gets impatient and, and, United, the Glazers end up getting impatient and they kind of like want to do this full type of, you know, get that star, star powered coach um, maybe next year. Yeah. I mean, I think two, if they were to fire Ole after this season, I would say they're idiots, but at the same time, they've proven time and again, uh, piss poor management of 
the team and the club. Uh, excuse my language, but it's just been it's been a it's been a train wreck. You know, cursing and, is allowed on the podcast. So okay, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but yeah, and so it's just it's just like it's been starting with David Moyes. Like they don't they don't give this guy any money to buy anyone he wants, and then they get Louis Van Hall who buys all the wrong people, people who don't want to be there, like Angel Di Maria, like all these guys, and they bring in flops like Schneiderlin, and then Memphis Depay doesn't pan out, and then they just they go through this cycle of like, okay, we didn't give this guy any money to, to buy the team that he wants and get rid of him. And then we give the next guy to buy a bunch of people that he wants, but the guy was like the wrong manager. And then they go back to Jose Mourinho and he brings a good philosophy in his first season. You know, we win the FA cup or no, we win the uh, Europa league. We get second place in the league, but then they don't support him in the transfer market after that. And so it's been a series of abject failures as managers but also Ed Woodward not supporting those he's handpicked and chosen to be there. And so I would say it's not out of the realm of possibility. He's not here at the end of always not here at the end of the season, which would be a major disappointment. But um, I would say my, my bet is that he's still the manager this time next year. Yeah. I think it would be totally insane if he wasn't. And it just seems like the common denominator through all of this is Ed Woodward being in charge of some of like the footballing decisions in terms of who to bring in uh, in the transfer window and all that type of stuff. Um, ever since Sir Alex kind of left, um, left that post, it just seems like there's a lot of instability and a lot of, oh, a lack of decision-making um, at the top in terms of who to bring in and which players um, they decide on to bring in. So I'm curious to see, how that plays out for them. But I kind of have a similar thinking for Manchester United. If they can get anywhere in the top four, I think you're ecstatic as a United fan. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're fifth or sixth either, like they were last season. But um, with some of the new additions, I think that's what they're aiming for this year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so – Anyways, I wanted to move on and talk about my team, Liverpool. They do start kick off the Premier League season tomorrow on Friday against Norwich City. Um, I can't believe it's already starting. But like you mentioned during our Man U talk, Liverpool didn't make any big, um, splashy transfer type of moves uh, this offseason. They kind of ran it back this year, signed some guys to long-term types of deals, and no one no one of importance really left. Daniel Sturridge ended up leaving at the end of the season. So did Alberto Moreno. But they played very secondary roles on this team. They didn't really contribute too much um, to last year's campaign um, where they ended up winning the Champions League uh, final. How exciting was that? Plus, they were, a- they were able to come in second in a historic battle for uh, the league title last year. Um, coming up second against Manchester City. But I was extremely proud of what they did this offseason. I didn't really think they they needed to do too much other than solidify um, their maybe some of their youth. And I think they did that this year. Plus, they were able to uh, keep all the guys that they had. Mohamed Salah, who had a lot of rumors surrounding him, uh, Sadio Mane as well possibly going to Real Madrid. 
surrounding him and they all stayed put, which I'm extremely happy about. I think one of the things that I was a little nervous about watching this year what, or this offseason was their struggles during the preseason. And I don't know how much you can take from that. And there are a lot of players missing, things like that. But it just seemed like they're, they're kind of like coming off this lull of a summer just because they had a lot of success last year. A lot of players were playing in off-season type of tournaments with their national teams. Um, so there wasn't that sharpness this preseason. Um, but I think they're primed for another run at the league title. And I think they're really going to be gunning for that just because they have the Champions League title in their back pocket from last year. Yeah, um, I was actually thinking a little bit about, you know, why, you know, Liverpool doesn't, didn't do, do many transfers or any at all, really, except for Harvey Elliott. Um, and then I realized your team's still really young. It's crazy. Like, yeah. So, I mean, Mane, Salah, I would say Roberto Firmino, all three of them are pretty much in the prime of their career. They're like in their mid twenties. Um, I mean, look at Trent Alexander Arnold. He's like 19, 20 years old. Like the only maybe weak spot that I might suggest is possibly some depth at left back. But other than that, I'm pretty happy with the way this team looks um, and maybe a center back because Joe Gomez coming back from injury, there's a little bit of, there are a couple questions there, but in terms of youth, they've really decided with this team to kind of build it out that way. Look for, I would say, underappreciated um, players that are valued maybe a lot lower than the market dictates. If you look at the way they brought in Mohamed Salah um, from Roma, look at Roberto Firmino, who was brought in from, I believe, Hoffenheim. Um, These types of players were not super sought after and didn't play huge, pay huge sums of money other than Virgil van Dijk and Allison, who really solidified their defense last year to really catapult them to new heights. Uh, A lot of these players were developed under Klopp um, and under his system. So I, I'm really excited with where this team can go. And I'm hoping for a Premier League reign of maybe three to four more years of something like this happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about your top players. I mean, 31 is like the new 25. <laughs> yeah. And so like, it, these guys, like, they'll be there for a while. And I've heard a lot of really good things about uh, that kid Brewster. Yeah, Ryan Brewster, uh, he is probably the striker of the future for them, um, mm-hmm. especially with what Arigi kind of showed last year. Brewster tore it up pretty much this preseason, and he's one of those guys that is a special guy. It seems like Liverpool is going to keep him and not loan him out, um, especially with the deadline passing. It seems like he's going to be training with them all all season long and maybe get some minutes. He's probably right behind Origi for that last, for that spot playing up front. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets minutes. Harvey Elliott, he's like the youngest uh, Premier League player ever, I believe, or one of the youngest. 
and he was like 16 last year. So 16, 17, it seems like he's staying with the club. Uh, we get Oxley Chamberlain back from injury, who kind of uh, made a couple appearance at the, appearances at the end of last year, but he's really back to full form. And he was one of those guys that was supposed to be that dynamic, um, like midfielder type player that ends up making really long runs into the box, supporting the offensive uh, front three. So I'm really excited to see how they do. And uh, Nabi Keita, who kind of showed, he, he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year, but he really found his footing towards the end of the year. I'm curious to see how that the midfield three ends up working itself out. And I don't really know what the best combination of those three players is on the squad, but I think you could kind of throw out any three types of any three of those players in the midfield and Liverpool will be pretty okay. And not to get too early into predictions, but I think I'm predicting a live. I'm feeling really good about this year. I'm, I think I'm predicting a Liverpool uh, league title this year. And I'd be pretty upset if they are outside of the top two this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I don't think any sane individual would be picking them outside of the top two. Um, but a funny note about Liverpool, I mean, I hate to see them do well, but uh, I'd like to take some, like, minor credit, you know, because I'm a, being a Boston guy myself. Uh, the Fenway Sports Group owns you guys. You this, know? Is, this is a big conflict for me because – I'm a Liverpool fan, but <laughs> I'm from the New Jersey, New York area, so I'm a huge Yankees fan. So it's there's a conflict of interest there, just to be, mm-hmm. just to give credit to. I don't know how it works itself out, but to give credit to uh, that Fenway Sports Group, um, that's and John Henry and the way they've kind of um, been able to support Jurgen Klopp in his endeavors and being able to bring in the right types of players. And I don't know. I, I guess I have to give him props because of how well Liverpool has done. But it pains me to say that as a Yankee. <laughs> Dude, it's all about Moneyball. Yankees I don't know. know about that. Yankees don't know about Moneyball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, baseball is another topic. The Yankees are up like 16 games on the Boston Red Sox mm. right now. So, I, I mean, I don't want Still wanna... champions. Still champions. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, oh, man. But other than that, it's I, I'm pretty happy with what Liverpool's done this offseason um just being able to reset and kind of bring back the guys and see if they can uh wrestle the title away from Manchester City and let's get into Manchester City Joe as as Manchester City's big rivals what are your thoughts on what this juggernaut of a team looks like because I mean as good as Liverpool does look this year Manchester City as you alluded to before reloaded and they basically brought in like a host of new toys that they're that Pep Guardiola can play with and I'm curious to know like what your thoughts are because I think Guardiola has other thoughts other than winning the league this year I think they have their set uh their sights set on the Champions League and winning that. So I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on maybe Pep's decision-making in terms of how he treats the league this year. 
Yeah, I'd say last year um, winning the domestic treble was a sad consolation prize for Pep. He doesn't care about the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup that much. Um, it's a nice little consolation prize, but you know the target's always the Champions League, and so I totally agree. Um, but I think, I guess speaking of the shiny new toys, uh, I guess we can talk about the surprising one and bring on uh, Joao Cancelo and like yeah. from Juventus, which totally surprising move from Juve to do this. But um, but yeah, so it looks like they're going to be slotting him in at uh, at the right back position and moving and kicking Kyle Walker either to being a converted center back or being a backup right back. Um, I found that pretty interesting because, I mean, it's not like Kyle Walker was bad. But, I mean, I think that's what is really important about what Man City is doing is that they are they don't care if their players are good enough. They're always trying to improve, and that's what scares me. Um, and then in terms of the other shiny new toy, Rodri from Atletico, uh, it looks like he's going to be the eventual successor to Fernandinho, who is old. Uh, he's 34, and so it looks like you know, maybe they got a year or two left of Fernandinho, but I think Rodri is going to be spelling him a lot more this season and then eventually taking over that center defensive mid spot. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm pretty curious to see, like, what Pep does with Kyle Walker and the Jao uh, uh, Cancelo and what he decides to do. It seems like Cancelo is going to be their right back, but there there's a lot of talk that, they weren't happy with John Stones and his play last year and whether or not Kyle Walker slots in over there. I mean, they still have Nicholas Otamendi or um, someone like Fernandinho who went, who you ended up bringing up, maybe sliding back, uh, playing center back. But I know Pep really values that athleticism of those fullbacks, especially in um, Benjamin Mendy, who's been kind of injured, and Zinchenko looked uh, really good at towards the end of la- last year, who looks like he's going to be starting uh, to start the year at left back and really be able to press up high on the field so that they can get service in into, into Sergio Aguero. Um, I'm really curious to see, like, how – um, Zinchenko ends up solidifying that left back position for himself, or if he's going to feel pressure uh, coming in from behind him. But other than that left back position and maybe the uncertainty of Benjamin Mendy, uh, this Man City team looks incredible. Honestly, like I don't really know other than Liverpool who else would dethrone them. They just have so much depth on the field. Like they go too deep. Like you're saying, they have. They they can put you know they the resting guys like Riyad Mahrez on the bench who was only two years ago tearing up the Premier League. Uh, they did kind of lose Leroy Sané uh, to an ACL injury um, in mm-hmm. the preseason, so that's kind of a worry for them in terms of the, their depth taking a hit. But they still have Raheem Sterling. I mean. Like, I could go down the list of players, and it just seems like they're super deep. It's David Silva's last year in Manchester United or Manchester City Blue, so that's going to be kind of a, a swan song for him um, before he heads back to Spain. I just, I'm curious to see how Pep's tactics work out and whether or not they can make that push for the Champions League. Yeah, I think one thing that, uh, we failed to mention just now is 
fact that it looks like Gabriel Jesus has taken a major leap this summer, um, mm-hmm. leading Brazil. Uh, he led Brazil's front line all summer, and then he was playing out of his mind. And yeah. he just looked like a completely different player. Because I remember when he first came to the Premier League, I think he like scored like six goals in his first like six games, and then he like quipped that, uh, "Oh yeah, it's a lot. It's a little easier than I thought it would be," you know. And then and then pretty much. Aguero relegated him to the bench by being just a much better all-around striker. But I think now that Aguero is like, you know, reaching the end of his prime and Gabriel Jesus seems like he's really taken the reins and he's going to be entering his. And so the scary thing for me is that, um, you know, like you were saying, they're two, three players deep at almost every position. And as the old ones are fading away, this new young crop of players keeps getting better. Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's pretty crazy to kind of see all this. And we didn't even mention Kevin De Bruyne, who was probably two seasons ago, the best midfielder um, in the Premier League, maybe in the world. And he was injured a lot last year. So maybe he returns to form. It's just kind of crazy that you kind of go down the list and we don't even get to mention like half of their good players, which is frustrating to say the least, but it's also like it's. I like to give Manchester City fans, except I don't know any Manchester City fans, uh, a little bit of a ribbing, saying that you know money doesn't buy class. So it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's going to be really interesting and fun to watch them play, just because of how brilliant Pep is during with his tactics. But I'm I. I really think Liverpool is going to be motivated to win uh, this league title, um, especially with how close they were last season. And I think it's just going to be, I think it's going to be more of the same from last year in terms of it being a dogfight um, for the league title between uh, City and Liverpool. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it'll be... Sorry. What's up? Before you end up uh, starting your point, I did want to ask you for a prediction for your top four. Okay, top four prediction. I'm gonna. I don't. I don't mean to break your heart. I think it's gonna be City, Liverpool. Um, then I, it, now now it gets difficult. But Tottenham third, and I'm gonna go with United because I can't bear to hear Arsenal four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think it's going to be – it's probably going to be City, but I have to go with my heart. I think it's mm-hmm. Liverpool, City, then I go Tottenham, and then I go Arsenal. And I think, man, you just misses out in fifth um, and Chelsea in sixth. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it's really interesting. Tottenham made some really interesting deadline day moves today. Uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, who's – a really creative center midfielder is going to be coming in for them. Um, and then also they, they also brought in um, Ryan Sessignon, who is this left back, left winger um, that is super versatile on that left side of the pitch. Um, kind of, it kind of reminds me of what Gareth Bale was when he was there for Tottenham in terms of, Gareth Bale starting off at left back and then mm-hmm. moving further and further up the pitch. And I'm kind of curious to see how that dynamic plays out just because they brought him in for 25 million euros. 
but they still have Ben Davies and um, and Danny Rose uh, at left back. So they're pretty stocked at left back. So maybe it's like a sign that Sessing Young plays higher up the pitch for Tottenham. And um, I can't pronounce this guy's name, but Ndombele. Yeah, yeah. Tangua, Tangu. It's like there's two U's in there, and it like really throws me off. Like yeah. Tanguay and Dembele or something. Yeah, yeah. So he was another big money move, and it's pretty surprising to hear Tottenham bring in um, those three players for like a combined a hundred. I think it's close to a hundred fifty million dollars. Um, big money. Big yeah, money. big money for Tottenham, especially with the new stadium that they ended up building last year. Um, them opening that stadium up. I'm curious to see how um, how this team performs. There's still a lot of questions on in terms of does Christian Eriksen end up leaving, um, and maybe the La Celso signing signals that. And there's possibilities that he. There's a lot of rumors that he might leave and go to Real Madrid still, and that's a huge possibility. But and he was actually, I mean, wasn't he rumored also to go to Manchester United for the past couple of days? But it seemed yeah. like he shut that down. Um, but I'm curious to see whether or not Erickson ends up staying or leaving. Does Danny Rose end up staying or leaving? Um, if they end up staying, like, what does the the ideal lineup for this Tottenham squad look like? Um, and we didn't even mention our boy Son. Um, especially with the, he's been suspended for the first two games of the season. But after that, it seems like he's pretty nailed on uh, to starting spot and kind of solidified his role, especially last year on this team. Um, I'm really curious to see what Son does, maybe without the pressure of what he came into last year uh, with military service up in the air post uh, World Cup last year and then him having to travel abroad a lot more because of him trying to uh, get exempt from the military and thank God he's exempt from the military because of their win um, and I, I'm just curious to see like what he looks like now that he's going to be a lot more settled into his role this year. Oh yeah and I think last year uh, as opposed to previous years that he was at Tottenham absolutely a total breakout year um like because you look at you know what tottenham was without harry kane and Min son running the point like being the star man on that team where they essentially funneled all their attacks through like he picked up that team and carried them for months i know he literally was was incredible he's like boys get on my back i'm taking us there exactly and he took them all the way to the champions league final a total heartbreaker for me because i was like Dude, I want Shungman Son to, to like you know hold that trophy aloft, but um, like he's incredible, uh, and I think him and Harry Kane, once they reestablish that chemistry together, you know playing off of each other, it's going to be even more dangerous. And if Ericsson stays, I think their depth is arguably you know up there with Liverpool and Cities. Yeah, and I yeah, yeah Belly up, upgrades Wanyama and Suzuko. Sessegnon upgrades Danny Rose, like you said, and then Lo is uh, Erickson's successor. Yeah, and I, I just feel like with that depth, I think it gives them maybe the talent for them to compete, make it a three-team race this year, um, and for them to compete 
uh, for the title. And I wouldn't be surprised if they end up finishing second or first if everything goes right. Um, mm-hmm. Just being able to, because they do have the talent um, to compete and they've kind of shown that their talent kind of rises to the top, especially over the past couple of years, finishing within the top three, um, I would say in the past four years now, I would say um, that they've been able to do it three or four years that they've finished in the top three. So it's fairly impressive, especially with a club, um, uh, with club their size, not notor- not known to be um, a top four type of team. But in the past couple of years, they've really established themselves as a top four team. Yeah. And, and I, I think, oh, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think Danny Levy was, or, he, you know, he made it, I think there are so many rumors, I think, that even um, Pochettino started himself about, he's not sure what he would do if they won the Champions League, and maybe he would just, like, retire or, like, take a break from soccer or being a football manager. Right. And I think this was a statement of intent by Levy saying, we're keeping him and we're going to spend it to keep him here. And I was like, dang, kind of scary. Yeah, it. I think it's a huge, huge move um, to kind of really show the commitment level of Tottenham and of team ownership behind uh, their vision behind what Pochettino believes is a great team. And I think Pochettino kind of has maximized this talent on this team. And they've been like, all right, we're extremely happy with the results that we've seen so far. Why don't you get a couple new toys to play with too? And then we can see if this pushes us uh, to the top of the Premier League and maybe pushes up, pushes us to more consistent results in the Champions League. And I'm curious to see whether or not that ends up happening. Um, and I think that was one of the points that I wanted to hit upon and maybe ask you and pose, pose as a question to you. Do you think Pochettino's at Tottenham by the end of the season? Or is, do you think he ends up staying or leaving um, by the end of the season because of maybe uh, the successes that he's had with Tottenham? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's keeping him there is the unfinished project that he began. And I think it's the same case as it was last year in that he built this team from next to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And like after the sale of Gareth Bale, they bought a bunch of garbage players and it was a huge mistake, but he was able to like take what he had, make smart purchases, Harry Kane showing up out of nowhere and then bringing them to the highest they've ever been as a team. And so I think he wants to see this project through to completion. And so whether it means either winning the Premier League or winning the Champions League, I think if he checks either one of those boxes and becomes essentially, you know, or finishes his project, then I think, you know, maybe the temptation of a bigger team, like who knows what's going to happen with Zidane at Real Madrid, um, or like the temptation of any of the other big clubs around the world and the thought of a new challenge and a new project might make him or might inspire him to leave. Mm. Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious to see uh, how that happens because maybe he does get inspired and or does get um, a result with Tottenham gets a gets a title or gets a trophy and he feels like this is as far as I can go with this team and feels like all right I think this is where I jump ship and maybe go to go to somewhere like Barcelona especially if Valverde ends up struggling. Um, which be, would be really interesting 
to Kansas City. Now, moving on to Arsenal, and I think Arsenal had probably one of the most intriguing off-seasons uh, this season. They got rid of their captain, uh, Laurent Gallagher, <laughs> just got rid of him. He, yeah. he was just like, all right, I'm not going on the preseason tour, so uh, I want to move. And they end up getting rid of him. Uh, they bring David Luiz in on the last day of the deadline day. Um, they brought in Nicolas Pepe, who's supposed to be this all-world winger for them. And it, it really brings out a really formidable top three, uh, front three for them in Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Pepe. And I'm curious to see those three and how they work in conjunction with each other because the Lacazette-Aubameyang fit wasn't always I, I feel like it wasn't as smooth as a lot of people thought it would be under Unai Emery, but they were able to figure it out towards as the season went along. And I wonder if the uh, adding a third component like Pepe into the into the mix kind of disrupts disrupts the chemistry um, amongst those top three. Yeah, I think. Um... It's funny because I, I, if I were to, like, pick a headline, it'd be like, Arsenal score five but lose, you know? Yeah, their defense <laughs> has been a struggle. And it's not like David Luiz is, like, the most formidable defensive center back um, ever. He's known as one of these attacking center backs. Mm-hmm. And so I think they, I think there will be amazing highlights of beautiful passing moves that begin out the back, you know, initiated by, like, David Luiz playing something out. And then, you know, making its way through, through like three blistering attackers, like the, the blistering pace of these three attackers, and then just having some beautiful Arsenal esque goal. Um, I think, I think they're going to get toasted a ton. Um, Interesting. And because, like, you know, I mean, there's always like the same old Ozil tripe or trope where it's like, oh yeah, like he disappears in big games, and he it appears that he doesn't show much effort, you know, especially tracking back or even on offense sometimes, and so. I'm still concerned about their midfield and I'm still concerned about their back line. And yeah, they signed Kieran Tierney from Celtic, but I mean, I'm going to say the Premier League is a big step up from the Scottish Premiership. And so he's going to have a major adjustment period too. Um, and so like, I think, you know, the chemistry of the three up top, I think it can absolutely work out. And I think it will. Um, so I think it's easier to have chemistry in attack than it is to have it in the back. Um, because I think, you know, players growing up, you know, having soccer throughout their entire lives, it's easy to understand that, you know, you're moving into space and being able to play off of each other, yeah, it takes time. But I think I think those three will work it out, especially with Pepe being younger. He can kind of take that, you know, back uh, backseat to, you know, the two main attackers there. Um, and then like last year, what they did, I remember they would start one and then introduce the other as a sub later on in the game to really just change the way that the game was flowing and the way that the game was being played. And that really, throw, like, having that just kind of in your back pocket to throw in as a manager is kind of exciting. Um, I feel like that can definitely change so much of the dynamic of how a game's going when you all of a sudden introduce, like, a third threat competing against the tired legs of, like, a defense. Yeah, and I think that's – I mean, I think you touched on the big concern for Arsenal is that back line. And, I mean, proportions of last year, their left-back situation got – really dicey. Uh, Nacho Monreal 
ended up getting hurt. And then Granite Xhaka, was, who's a center defensive midfielder by trade, ended up playing left back for them for a little bit. And it's not like their back line is inspiring any type of, I would say, steel wall type of, I don't know, imagery. It just seems like it's going to be a struggle for them especially with the players they have. They do have some talented defenders. It's just I they really ended up struggling last year with the way they defended and I'm I I I don't know if I necessarily see them being a stalwart defensively. Yeah, I mean, I'd say their issue is uh one it's like yeah, their defense, their starting defensive backline it looks to be leaky and that they have no depth. I mean, imagine if David Luiz goes down and you have Mustafi paired with, um, shoot, I forgot his name. Socrates. Socrates. Oh my God. Like, Rob Holding. Like, Callum Chambers. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be an attacker's wet dream. <laughs> like that's gonna be. I mean, these guys would be licking their chops, just like praying for that back line to show up, so that they could just toast them day in day out. Yeah, I mean, what I'm curious about is like if David David Luiz ends up scoring, like what him and Matteo uh, would do these uh, like celebrations oh, yeah. with their hair. Um, I think they're gonna merge their locks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm just like, I'm I, I'm just imagining them like <laughs> shaking their heads and like being in like a rock band or something like that, oh, pretending yeah. like they're they're like an '80s band back in the day. Yeah, some thrash um, metal head banging. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm just imagining that. But I think it's I, – I really do see them competing for a top four spot. I think it's going to be really co- close between them and Manchester United for that fourth spot this year. Um, and I, I I think it's like a coin flip in terms of um, – in terms of who ends up getting there. Arsenal's attacking talent – I would say is a little bit more, they have a higher ceiling compared to Manchester mm-hmm. United, but with Harry Maguire and Juan Bissaka, they Manchester United really solidified their defense, which Arsenal hasn't been able to do. So it kind of depends on what you value there over the course of the season. Yeah. Defense wins championships. We kind of know that from your Patriots, don't we? Yep. <laughs> three win last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady, whatever. Uh, this is, this is just like a really bad podcast combo. You being from Boston, me being from New York, New Jersey. <laughs> I'm a Jets fan. Like I'm a Jets fan, Yankees fan. Like it's just not good. I mean, we, I think this, we got, this tension's healthy, man. It's healthy. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's like a, it's like a relationship kind of needs that tension a little bit from time to time. So last top six team we haven't really talked about or touched upon is Everton, Leicester City. No, I'm talking about Chelsea. Um, Chelsea, <laughs> they've they've had a really, really, I would say, well, they, I think their offseason was kind of hampered by some of the things that are coming down the pipeline for them um, in terms of uh, transfer bans and things like that in the future and them being kind of limited by who they're able to bring in knowing uh, knowing that they won't be in um, that they won't just that they're 
I, I guess there it's it's the struggle between like this transition, especially with uh, Sari leaving last year or this past season, and then bringing in Frank Lampard, and then kind of going in this different direction, maybe going towards more of a youth movement. Um, what I'm really excited about, obviously, being an American, Christian Pulisic, and how he's going to be able to um, make his imprint on this team. They've kind of moved away from an era, especially with Eden Hazard going to Real Madrid um, and kind of putting a bookend into that that era of um, Chelsea. I'm curious to see how Pulisic does in the Premier League. It's a it's a man's league. It's I mean the Bundesliga is one of these top four leagues, but it's also a different style of play. I would say, mm-hmm. and I would say uh, the Premier League's a little bit more physical, and Pulisic's kind of checked every box, every stop of the way, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does well during this year, during this uh, first inaugural year, and he's been. He's he's probably projected to start at one of the winger spots, um, maybe Eden Hazard's old spot. How do you see him doing this first season in the Premier League? Yeah, uh, I'll say that this past Gold Cup final definitely prepared him for the physicality of the Premier League. Yeah, he's uh, just like, I mean, definitely getting getting pushed around physically is way more acceptable, and it's part of the game in England. Um, and I think. The fact that in Germany you play far less games, I think I think you play like four less games, and you have the winter break. Yeah. Um, and so I think in terms of the the war of attrition, that battle that he's going to have to deal with, um, that's going to be the biggest uh, impediment to him doing well. But I think you know he's clearly shown the quality over the course of his career, moving from or like doing well and like excelling in the Bundesliga, and I think he'll be able to bring those same qualities and exhibit them at Chelsea. Yeah, and I. I mean, this Chelsea team is really going for this youth movement, um, not even from outside players, but their own players that they've bought throughout the years and that they've kind of had this, like, network of teams. Their lone army. Yeah. I know, exactly. <laughs> and this lone army has finally kind of come back home, and they're kind of giving them a chance to see what they can do. I think there's a lot of different players to look out for. Tammy Abraham's going to be probably starting up front for them um, to start the season, which will be something to watch out for because he does have um, Bashuai and Giroud behind him. So there's going to be pressure there if he doesn't end up performing. Um, someone else to look out for, Mason Mount, who ended up having a really great year with Derby County um, in their run last year um, to ha- to try to get them up. Um, to the Premier League and them just falling short. Um, He's kind of proven he was the best player on that team last year, and he's proven that he has the talent to succeed in the Premier League. And I'm curious to see if um, someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Kurt Zuma end up getting opportunities um, to break into this team as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, I think... Uh, that having the transfer ban is somewhat of a fortuitous, you know, you could look at it as like a big issue, but you could also look at it as like they needed this to happen anyways, because Tammy Abraham has been like nipping at the heels of coming to the Premier League for the last like three years. This guy's been bagging goals in the championship for like 
his last two loan um, Spells, last two yeah. loans. Yeah, and he's just been he's been balling out. But then he's never gotten an opportunity because you know they're constantly bringing in these like old, like older guys who are more established, like the Alvaro Moratas, the Gonzalo Higuains, who are both busts in the Premier League. But because they brought in those guys for the big money, they can't give this kid a chance. And so mm-hmm. now they're restricted from bringing in the big money guys. And so this is the perfect opportunity for all these young players that you've mentioned to be able to make their mark and prove that they belong on this team instead of being perpetually loaned out year after year. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's it's kind of crazy to say this about a Chelsea team, but I would say this is one of the most likable slash I, I would say most likable teams to maybe watch this offseason or this year just because of uh, the youth movement that Frank Lampard's brought about for this team. And it, it's just, it just, the youth brings about a lot of excitement. And if Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic are able to perform well for this team, I could see them garnering a lot of new fans across the globe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as, as optimistic as I am and looking forward to watching Chelsea play, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they finished sixth or seventh. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and I wouldn't be yeah. surprised by that at all either. Yeah, I'm thinking Everton and Wolverhampton are moving up into that 5-6 slot because I think the moves that they both those teams have made have shown clear ambition and a, it's a direct like threat to those established teams um, who are outside of the top two of City and Liverpool. Because like, I think it is definitely possible – that Wolverhampton or Everton could also make a run for that fourth for that uh, number four spot. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting. Uh, you actually got into my next question. It was going to be um, out of the, tr- except for the traditional top six, who do you think has the best shot of maybe breaking into that? And it you kind of answered that question with Everton and Wolves, and I think it's like Everton Wolves and Leicester, those three are the three teams I would probably look out for. And maybe even if you want to throw in Watford in there as Mm -hmm. well, um, those four teams probably make up the middle top half or bottom half of the top half. That's kind of confusing. But, (laughs) um, yeah, like from six, seven to ten, they kind of make up those teams right there. And that's how I envision it happening. And maybe – one of those teams ends up pushing for a Europa League spot or, or even a top four spot. And they really have to get off to a really good start in the beginning of the season. Um, I'm pretty much there with you in terms – and I, I don't know. I kind of have this thing with Everton every year just because they're rival with, of Liverpool, Liverpool's yeah. biggest rival. But it just seems like Everton's always had decent amount of talent it just they've never been able to get the right mix together to kind of have that dream run like Leicester had a couple seasons ago where mm-hmm. I would say if everything ended up working out for them and they got a little bit of luck, they would be able to challenge for the top four. Um, just because of all, you know, they still have Seamus Coleman, who is still there um, doing well. Jordan Pickford is one of the best goalkeepers in the league playing for them. As well, Lucas Digne, who was really great at left back for them, 
and they have some really interesting attacking pieces in uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Richarlison. I just mm-hmm. think one, maybe they're missing that one center forward type of player that they had in Lukaku when he was there during his tenure. And mm-hmm. I think they're hoping that uh, the young guy, Keane, from um, Italy is going to be able to replace that production. I mean, I think it was a great move by them to sign a player of his caliber to, I think it was $25 million transfer. Uh, bargain. $25 million, yeah, it was a bargain for for the age that he's at um, and the way he ended up playing for Juventus last year. I think he really was able to show that he's a top, top player, even at his young age. And if he's able to fill that void at all for um, Everton, I think that can really change the expectations of how far Everton goes this year. Yeah, I mean, they. I think the five big signings for them, uh, Moise Keane, Fabian Delph, Andre Gomez, Jibril Sadide, and Alex Iwobi. Like, Alex Iwobi is kind of whatever. He's like a super iffy on and off player, so I'm not going to really count him into that big five signing type guy. But Jibril Sadide, um, he was part of that miracle Monaco run that took them to the top of the league with, um, you know, Kylian Mbappe and, like, all those guys who eventually left, like Bernardo Silva, uh, he w- his name was always, you know, in that group of, like, these promising young players. And, like, unfortunately, he didn't leave with that wave of, you know, when Man City pretty much bought everyone up. But mm-hmm. he's, I've always rated him as a pretty good fullback. Um, Andre Gomez, like, you know, he had an on and off season last year. But, you know, they I think they kept him on a uh, – they finalized that transfer deal with Barcelona. And then Fabian Delph, he's a capable Premier League player. You know, he, he cut it for Man City for a few years. And so I think, you know, they're really shoring up a lot of their weaknesses, you know, in the midfield and their back line. And then adding Moise Keane, you know, I think, you know, it is a statement of intent. And they will definitely be threatening. And Ronald Koeman's not a bad manager. Guy's solid. No, he's not. He's a really good manager. And speaking mm-hmm. of good, like, speaking of teams that are kind of in this um, mid-table area, we mentioned Wolves. And I think it's interesting that Wolves last year – where the new team coming into the uh, Premier League, kind of wondering whether or not they stay up, all this stuff, and they were able to have a really surprising year. Um, And I'm just a little bit concerned with them playing extra fixtures next year um, in the Europa League, whether or not they're going to be able to have the depth to um, be able to perform um, during during this year. Yeah, uh, I think Wolverhampton, a.k.a. uh, Portugal North. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Seriously. (laughs) Or, like, the Jorge Mendezes. I'm not sure. But, um, like, they've made a lot of interesting moves. They brought in two strikers. Um, They brought in a couple more Portuguese guys uh, to add to their already very Portuguese core. But I think, you know, a lot of the players that they've brought in are young, um, and they're continually adding more and more. I think every season they've added, like, like, six players. And so I think they have built up their squad depth to try and deal with that war of attrition that comes with playing more and more games. Um, I would honestly say they're more of a threat than Everton is to take that top four spot. Because um, I'm pretty high on their manager. Um, mm-hmm. Neto, he, he seems, or not Neto, uh, I forgot, I'm drawing a blank right now. But um, like I think 
you know, coming up from the championship together, having the backing of their ownership to have bought someone as good as, uh, shoot, who's their central defensive mid? Ruben Neves. Yep. Bringing him in from, you know, the Portuguese league to the championship, which most people don't usually do, but having like that ambition to collect all these players um, and then having them buy into that vision of moving up year after year, I'd say in terms of momentum, that's what they have on their side. Uh, I think they have a real belief in their squad that, you know, they're destined to do great things in the league with the core that they have. Um, and that would, which is what makes me think that they're a more dangerous team. Yeah. And I totally agree with that in terms of them having, I would say this, and I found out the manager's name, Nuno. Um, I think that's yes. what his name is. Yes. If he, if they're able to buy into his system and they seem like, he he plays a really interesting type of football, um, and a lot of those player those new players are able to buy into that system and perform at a level where it doesn't drop off from the normal starters. Then I think they're able to succeed in the Europa League and in Premier League season. But I don't. I I'm just worried about the extra fixtures and extra games that they're going to have to play especially on Thursdays and if they have to go abroad to Russia or wherever they have to go to during their away fixtures and then having to come back and play on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's a tough travel schedule. And I saw it with Liverpool and how they struggled uh, during some of those Brendan Rodgers years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the other issue is that now that they've really announced their entry into the league, um, I think every team that moves up from like that bottom half of the table, like I think Leicester caught everyone off guard with their counterattacking ability and like they're actually their 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 play on the field. Um, and so teams were more liable to attack them and leave themselves open to counterattack. Um, mm-hmm. But I think once Leicester made you know their imprint on the Premier League, teams didn't necessarily attack them with as much reckless abandon, assuming that they would just be garbage. Right, And I think that's the issue that Wolves are going to run into again, um, just the way that Leicester did. So they're going to have to learn how to play in those, like, you know, the or like you know around the 18-yard box and, like, playing in those sets and having the creativity to break down a defense that is designed not to lose. Right. And if they have enough incisiveness to be able to finish um, mm-hmm. when they have 65% of the possession right. instead of just playing counterattacking football, which yeah. is – the, I think the tough transition from what makes a team that's a good team um, that finishes mid-table, threatening for top six to make that jump to top four team. Um, right. Those that those are like the little differences in being able to play possession-based uh, football and being able to, when they only have two or three chances throughout the game, whether or not they're able to finish those chances, um, especially if they're stuffing nine or ten guys behind the ball. Um, yeah. And I think that's the tough aspect. And they do have talented players. Uh, Raul Jimenez kind of showed last year how prolific of a striker he is. But I I don't know. They don't have that one super special player, um, mm-hmm. I would say, on that team. They, they have a really cohesive team. That's what I would call – or that's what I think of when I think of Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one question to kind of 
ask you before we end up wrapping up this podcast is out of the three teams that made it up this year, out of Norwich, out of Sheffield, and out of Aston Villa, out of those three teams, what who's the most likely to stay up um, for next year in the Premier League? Um, I have my answer, but I'm curious to see who you think has the best shot of staying up. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier, too, because Aston Villa spent the most money of anyone in the Premier League, this transfer market. But mm-hmm. obviously, that's not necessarily an indicator of how well you're going to do. But uh, I think Aston Villa had definitely have history on their side, having been a historic club. And I think when they went down, the other, uh, was it a few years back? That I think mm-hmm. it was the was it the first time in their club's history that they had gone down. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that will spur them to remain. Like so, like I, that's who I think my logical choice to remain in the top would be uh, in the Premier League. But I want to say Sheffield just because I mean I honestly do believe in Dean Henderson as a great Premier League goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, having been the best goalkeeper in the Championship and only being like 22 years old. Um, so I think, I mean, I think having a good goalkeeper in the back and then uh, they, you know, from the little highlights that I have seen of them, they played well and they're a good cohesive team. And clearly it takes a lot to move up from the championship to the Premier League. Um, I mean, they say, they signed Ravel Morrison too, which is a, a little funny a former Manchester United prodigy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was supposed to be better than Paul Pogba, uh, interestingly enough. But, um, you know, the journeyman comes back to the Premier League and, uh, I, I don't. I don't think they're going to stay up. I want them to. Um, I think Norwich is definitely going down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even giving them a chance. But uh, I, I'd I was say looking it's a at. Yeah. So I was looking at this Norwich squad, and it was kind of funny to you know how we mentioned how Wolves is Portuguese, Portugal North. It seems like the, um, this Norwich squad is some type of Bavarian Germany. Uh, type of squad. They have like eight German players on their team. I'm looking at the roster right now. They have three, four, five, six, seven, eight German players on this team. So it's kind of funny that a lot of these managers are focusing uh, their efforts around players from their country, uh, which is kind of funny. Um, that is funny. I I do think Aston Villa does have the best chance of staying up, and that's who I would put my money on. Um, they have guys that have played in the Premier League um, in previous years, and I I, I just think Jack Grealish is a special yes. type of player um, that could probably play at one of these top four, top six uh, team type of player. He's he's one of these really special players. Um, I mean, he got a lot of news um, in the headlines last year when he pretty much got assaulted on the field yeah. and then ended up scoring a goal and then leading uh, Villa to victory in that game. But I, I, I just think when you watch him play, he's just extremely crafty. He knows how to play um, the game, and he's an extremely creative player. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember, I think it was like two years ago, like two or three years ago is when he burst onto the scene, and I've been shocked that he hasn't been bought by anyone else. Yeah, uh, and I think he, it's one of those things where he was 
extremely loyal to Villa because he, I think he's grown up as Villa player. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, um, he's, I think he's a Villa lifer actually. Um, he, I think he went, um, spent his youth days at Aston Villa. So I think he's always been like attached to them at the hip and, yeah, it's it seemed like since he was six years old, he was an Aston Villa player. Looking this up on um, Wikipedia, I don't know how reasonable <laughs> that is, but it seems like he's played for Villa all his life, except for a short loan spell at Notts County. But I think that's going to be one of those players to look out for, especially if Villa goes back down, whether or not he decides to make a move. Um, Echo, uh, yeah. back to a uh, Premier League team because mm-hmm. he is only 23 years old and he's been playing at Villa since he was like, it, it says 2012. And in 2012, he was 16, 17 years old, which is kind of ridiculous to think a player that was 16 was playing in Premier League games. Um, wow. So, yeah, so he definitely has a lot of talent um, to be a Premier League type of player. It's whether or not he wants to leave uh, Aston Villa. And it's kind of paid off for him to stay with the club, and I'm sure it's super rewarding for him. But if I had to put my money out of on any of those three teams, I'm putting my money on Villa to stay up um, in the Premiership for this season. Mm-hmm. I could see Brighton dropping, too. Yeah. They don't seem like they belong. Well, Brighton really kind of struggled last year to Mm -hmm. kind of keep themselves up. If I had to put my money on it, I'm probably going Brighton, Norwich, Sheffield. And I'd be scared if I was possibly Southampton. But I think those are the bottom three, Um, Sheffield, Norwich, and uh, Brighton, and I think Villa ends up staying up. So, Joe, I really want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, And it was, I mean, it was a good joy to have you on, especially to preview this season. Is there anything else that you want, any hot takey thing before I let you go um, and before the season starts tomorrow? Uh, Hot take? Dude, ooh, hottest of hot takes. Well, no, this isn't that hot of a take. I think Crystal Palace is going to be in a relegation battle around Christmas time. Okay. And Wolf Zaha we'll be- doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. be there. I, I feel bad for him. He's the biggest loser of this transfer market. Yeah, he did end up. And this is like he tried to pull this stunt last minute and wasn't able to get his um, – uh, hit the move through and I think if you saw this interview with Roy Hodgson who was in his car and answering questions from an interviewer um, interview asked him straight up hey is Zaha staying and he was just like yeah I know Wilfred is kind of pissed off right now gave him the day off from training um, but he'll cool down he's a professional and he'll perform um, I wouldn't be surprised because how of how important Zaha is to that Crystal Palace team. He's their whole team, man. <laughs> yeah, he is their whole team. Um, 
I think my hot take, my hot takey thing is I know I had Chelsea out of the top four, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're, I wouldn't be surprised if they're fourth or third to end the season. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That is a hot take. Yeah. And I think the only reason why is my hope for Christian Pulisic to come back (laughs) as the American player to kind of, and I think it's hugely important for him and for all American players abroad. And if he's able to perform well, he opens up doors for a lot of U.S. players that are try to go that are trying to go abroad, um, whether it's in Germany and then opening up the floodgates in America. Um, a lot of people were kind of questioning whether the Pulisic move was a TV motivated, trying to get more revenue from United States fans, uh, which maybe I think partly it is on Chelsea's part, um, but at the same time I. I don't know what it is about the youth movement. I just kind of want to believe in the youth movement. And I, I, I just like teams that kind of are built more organically, even though Chelsea bought all those youth players <laughs> uh, with their loan squad. But being able to for them to utilize some of those players, and I kind of want to see Mason Mount uh, perform extremely well um, for this Chelsea squad. So I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea ends up finishing third or fourth uh, to end the season. Interesting. Yeah. I'll hold you to it. I'll hold you to it. Exactly. So other than that, I have nothing else to say, but Joe, thanks again for coming on uh, to preview the Premier League season uh, with me. And it's going to be an exciting one. And for those of you guys, Um, that have made it this far to the end of the podcast. Thank you guys again for listening. Uh, This is the second straight year that we've done a fantasy premier, like a premier league type of um, preview. And I just want to thank Joe. And if you guys haven't heard Joe's podcast, tap two Asians podcast, give it a listen. Uh, I'll definitely link it when I post it. Um, so definitely give it a listen. And Joe, thanks again for coming on. I want to be able to still be me and not fall to a vibe like Sonda. I hope you hear this message and I hope it makes you smile. Don't worry about me, baby, because I swear that I'll be fine. I got a girl with a mind on love. The kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough.